Visit our website at oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds having over 200 speaker files as well as forms for ordering CDs of these speakers and a place to donate to keep this special service going. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Mitzi. Thank you. Hi, I'm Mitzi, a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. I'm a little nervous. I haven't been recorded ever when I'm speaking, so a little nervous. But um, I have seven years and a few months, and I see a few faces that I recognize, but I don't get over on this side of town that much. So uh, how many newcomers are here? Just a few? Okay, good. Um, what it was like for me, I don't actually think that I was born with this disease. I actually think for me, um, my mom left when I was eight years old. And my dad was very, very strict, especially with food, where my mom was really lenient and we could eat whatever we wanted. And the struggles that I started having with him were, were you know, sit at the table until you're done eating and the, the standoffs. Food became about control and about my mom and about missing her right there and then. And what's lovely is that years ago I discovered this in therapy. It didn't help. It did not make the compulsive overeating or the bulimia. It didn't make it go away. Self-knowledge avails us nothing. That's, that's written somewhere. They, they've covered all the bases in all the literature. Really, they really knew what they were writing about. So um, for me, I wasn't born with this disease, but it started uh, in early childhood. It went unnoticed because I didn't really gain any weight. And then I got into high school and I started being a bulimic because a friend taught me when we were drinking, oh, if you start to feel sick, just make yourself throw up. And do that whenever you eat french fries. Just like that. And she was an older girl, my sister's friend, who I really looked up to. So I was like, okay, cool. And um, I'm 38 now. In that day and age, there really wasn't a word bulimia. It was called Skirtenberg and it was kind of funny and it was kind of cool. So it really wasn't this big, shameful thing. Um, it was funny. Uh, but it got me. And um, I moved on to laxatives. I never felt like I was really getting rid of everything. And there was something about laxative, and I was a hardcore laxative abuser for years. I also did every single program, weight loss program that you see on TV that celebrities endorse and then all of a sudden they disappear because they gain their weight back and it's sad. And um, I did Fen Fen and lost my memory um, and lost my con reported it stolen and only to remember where it was the next day and call the police very embarrassed and say, oh, I found it, you know, and I wasn't drunk. Like, that's the whole thing of it. Just this disease can make you as crazy as anything. Well, Fen Fen's a drug. But, um... <laughs> I had chest pains and lung aches and didn't stop taking it. it. That was actually the only time that I was ever successful in dieting. I was never a successful dieter. Um, for people who want to know about numbers, I'm only 5 feet tall. I got to be about 45 pounds overweight, which on a 5 foot tall person is kind of like 65 on, on somebody else. Um, and I'm now in the teens somewhere. I... I I don't get on a scale on that regular of a basis. Has that been five? Um, so that's pretty much what it was like for me. I, I procrastinated everything. 
Everything in my life that I was going to do, I didn't want to learn to go skiing because I didn't want to put on ski clothes and be the Michelin tire girl going down the slopes. I didn't want to do this. Like, I was a great friend to my friends if your boyfriend broke up with you because I can come over in my sweats and we could have some food and we can watch a movie, but I'm not going to show up for your birthday party because I don't have anything to wear. I'm fat. And I never even got it that that was an important part of being somebody's friend. Uh, they have the kind of people there celebrating with them. Why is my being there important? Uh, but I was, I was a great friend whenever something sad was going. I was the opposite of a fair weather friend. I was the foul weather friend who had some ice cream and, you know, and a movie. I'll bring it with me. And I was just so happy to have, you know, somebody who was as miserable as me to hang out with. I didn't have any boyfriends. I never went to a high school or anything like that. I never went to a dance. Never. I had my first boyfriend when I was 30. So I didn't get to do all of these things because I was always telling myself, when I get to this weight, then my life will begin. And I do this now. Um, I, I'm kind of sneaky. When I get a new sponsee, I help them make a list of all the things they want to do when they reach their goal weight. And after they give me the list... I make them start doing those things. They hate me. But, you know, I, they get to learn that your life begins now. It's, it, there's really no there. there. So I heard about this program from a friend who was in AA. And I went to a meeting, left 15 minutes into the meeting, crying and being terrified and really freaked out and just not wanting any part of it. But it stayed in my head. You know, I then went home and... Um, tried again to do it on my own starting on Monday starting on the first day of the month I can't all the calendars uh, that um, each week at the end of the week would be a different weight that was two pounds less than the week before I, I think if you if I were to have saved my calendars throughout the course of my life every calendar would have months where each week would be like three, three, three numbers different at the end of each week because that's what I was going to do each week. That was my goal. That was the whole, the whole of what I was trying to accomplish in my life. And um, I came into the rooms ready to work my food plan. And <laughs> it wasn't all the service in the sky. When I finally went back into a meeting, you know, I, I saw a girl who I'd worked with in a restaurant years before who had the perfect body, who I always looked at, was, and, and this was a restaurant that had big portions of amazing food and amazing desserts, and, I, and she never participated in that food, and she was like my ideal of what I thought I wanted to be, and there she was in the room, and we became friends, we're still best friends, and... Um, she told me that she'd been struggling with this too and I realized that there really was it was just such a profound moment and she told me take direction get a sponsor take direction and she told me take direction like three or four times because I was I'm the rebel I was the kid that ditched a lot of school straight C student I was in for all of the approval seeking defect that I do possess um, needing to be good in any kind of corporate or school structure, any kind of structured environment never has occurred to me. So it didn't occur to me in these rooms either. I really just wanted to get thin. So 
I tried really hard to figure out what my what my ism food was, and I knew it wasn't sugar. There wasn't. I was trying to think of what was it that makes me go off. And so the only thing I could think of was dairy, because I knew cheese was a big part of things that I binged on, and ice cream dessert, so so dairy. So dairy it was, and for the first six months, I ate vegan chocolate cake every day. And I, I just found, you know, vegan ways of eating everything that I wanted to eat, but I got some self-esteem because I had some time behind me. And one day I wasn't able to finish it in the restaurant that me and my friends always went to. And I brought it home. And then one day I noticed that I, I, I opened up my refrigerator and it was there and I had forgotten about it. And I was just like, holy crap. It was, it was really one of those moments where you look around and you know you're alone in the room, but you look around the room to see if anybody's there like, look at this, a magic trick just happened. Like, there was chocolate cake in my refrigerator that I forgot about. Look, it's it, look, it's crispy. Like, it was this amazing magic trip, trick that I never thought could happen to me. And um, I started working the steps, but I was a stop and starter. I wasn't real gung-ho. I kind of had a sponsor that I was friends with. I stopped and started, and I still, you know, I, I, I worked the program enough, things absorbed in, things, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. For me, the first four years were slower. I really didn't have very much physical recovery, but I started participating in life. I fell in love. I started doing things that I told myself I wasn't good enough to do before. So, um, that's what happened when I came into the program. I then got a different sponsor, kind of scares me a little, and she knows it. <laughs> and um, I then worked the steps again. And uh, I found that the tools, I mean, there's incredible tools, meetings, a plan of eating, which I never really had that tool. I gave up, oh, by the way, the, the non-dairy thing after about six months. I realized, oh, that's not really working for me. But moderate foods, and I wanted to make, I wanted to make my food plan something really loving. And for me, I learned the second I say no to something, it, something else just pops up in its place. So I wanted to make my food plan something like, okay, every day I eat fruit, every day I eat vegetables, every day I eat whole grains, every day I eat lean, lean proteins. And for the most part, there's no no's in my world, but I don't keep fried things in my house, and I don't keep a lot of other crap in my house, and I try and cook for myself a lot, and I... I I'll tell you more when I talk about the 10 step later because I want to go through the steps. But if you would have shown me my food plan, the, the way that I eat now, even four years ago, I would have cried. I could have never imagined that I would eat the way that I eat now uh, and, and, and had a life because it was my life. But um, I want to talk about the steps and I want to talk about how I work the steps. Um, Step one, when I first came to this program, my sponsor had me write down a list of all the things I was powerless over and all the ways my life was unmanageable. I didn't really see the difference in that. She also had me write down the dictionary definitions of all of those words. So I had these huge lists of things on both sides, and some of them were the same on either side, and I didn't feel like I was really doing it right. But she encouraged me just to keep going. 
and don't worry in, during my steps if, I, if I'm doing it right. This isn't school. This is just for me. This, this is for my soul. So then in step two, she had me write out a want ad, what I want in a higher power, um, what I want a higher power to be. And um, I also did it in affirmations. And for me, quite honestly, sometimes it switches around a bit. There's sometimes a godlike figure that kind of is like the George Burns figure that was in the movies when I was a kid in the old God movies. <laughs> that kind of figure who's kind of like, you could do it, kid, go. You know, and then sometimes it's just, I think of myself as being a person who has a spirit and has energy and you have that and you have that and you have that and all of us together wanting good for each other is this higher power and that's how we're able to help each other because look at all this energy built up together and how much we want for each other. And um, that, for me, feels pretty comfortable most of the time. That is more my image um, of a higher power. Step three, I had a really hard time with because the word will, oh, again, I looked up the words in the dictionary, turn my life and my will over to a higher power. Uh, I didn't trust God because my thoughts were, okay, if God wanted for me what I wanted for me, I would be thin and I would have a boyfriend. Like, this dude doesn't have my baby. Like, I couldn't even, for me to turn over my will, I just kind of automatically thought, oh, well, God will want me to be fat and boyfriendless, to show people that you could be fat and boyfriendless and still have a good life. Like, that's what he'll want for me, to be that person, to say, yes, enjoy your fat boyfriendless life. I just, I had a really hard time turning over all my wants and all my desires. The word will just screwed me up. But I looked up all the words in the dictionary. There was like a fifth definition for the word will. It was the power of control the mind has over the body. And I was like, okay, that I know I can turn over because that I know I don't have. So every morning I'd say, good morning. You know, hi, I'm powerless over food. My life's unmanageable. I'm willing to leave. You can restore me to sanity. <laughs> you can restore me to sanity. And for today, I turn my life and my will, meaning the power of control my mind has over my body, over to your care today. Like, I had to qualify it every day, and that was the most I can give, and that was okay. That was okay, and I tell people all the time, there's so many things that I have prayed for in this meeting that I did not mean at all, and then I pray to mean it, and then I pray to mean, praying to mean it, infinity, it doesn't matter how many times. I still wind up meaning those things eventually. And that's kind of amazing to me, uh, especially when I prayed for people that I was angry with. There's been so many examples of, oh, God, please help me to, you know, find a way to connect with this person. Please help me to mean it. Please help me to mean asking to mean it. Because I just want to put that person down. And lo and behold, two months later, I'm like, oh, I love you. You are so sweet. You know, it's just, it, it works. It works if you ask. So my fourth step for me we're talking about a person who's non-academic at all. Luckily, I have a sober brother-in-law who just said to me, just get through it. Do not sit on this step. Don't sit on this step forever. You'll see people do, do this step for years and years and years. Just get through it. So luckily, I did. I, something helped keep me going, and I got through my fourth step. And um, seeing my part in things, and seeing, I, I felt very defensive when I was turning it over to my sponsor. And, um, and she had to sit and gently remind me, you know what, your part doesn't always make you bad. 
especially the things when you're a little kid, like wanting your parents' attention or things like that. Your part, you know, you not you resenting your father because he didn't give you enough attention. This is her saying this to me. You know, doesn't make you bad. Your part wasn't that you were too something. You just needed somebody who was a drug addict and not available. So. It's nice to see that, oh, she also reminded me my part could be still holding on to that and wanting him to make up for it now. Seeing my part in the fourth step is a great way for me to see not necessarily always how to deal with that person, although a lot of times it does help me deal with that person, but how to deal with the next people that come into my life. So, um, very grateful for that. Very grateful for the sponsor who took my fifth step. The sixth step, list, listing all of my defects. Uh, I, these inventories have done so much for me. Really, I, in step six, I wrote out briefly all the defects that I discovered in, in step four. And then I wrote down what they do for me. Because the reason I had these defects is because they worked for me. They did something that was useful to me and they helped me in some way. So to acknowledge what, what it did for me <clears throat> was just as important. So I wrote down each defect. I wrote down how it has helped me in my life, how it has harmed me in my life. And now that I'm living a spiritual life, how I'd rather do it. And when I got to step seven is when I took that list, got on my knees, learned the seventh step prayer, said it, and I had actually made a God box when I was in when I was doing my third steps and I actually turned that over to my God box and remembered that, you know, our defects God doesn't lift the defects that bug us. I pray for God to lift my defect of vanity. He laughs his ass off. Nothing else is going to keep me coming back here. <laughs> so God lifts the defects that are not of service to God, not of service to our fellows. And it's a great tool to write down how I want to handle things in the future, but I ultimately have to turn it over. And some of the most graceful moments in my life have been moments where I see a defect lifted and I see myself behaving in the way that I want that person that I always wanted to be. I always felt like there was this person on another side of a fence that I could see through and she kind of had my face but she had a totally different body and she didn't smoke cigarettes and she didn't sleep in all day long and she didn't just daydream. She had boyfriends and she had friends and she had a life and I always felt totally cut off from the person I dreamed about being. And now, for the most part, I get to be the, the girl that I wanted to be. I'm not saying it's perfect and I'm not saying I don't have days that are hard but... I can say I don't have days where I don't love myself. And, and that's pretty nice. Even on days where I can get mad at myself, but I, I still love me. Um, steps eight and nine. I, were re I was really afraid of the ninth step. It's one I'd seen in all the movies. It's the one that, you know, I was, I remember, it was the one I was, I had anxiety about when I came into program. I told my sponsor when I first came into program, if you ever try to make me make an amends to my sister, I'm quitting. We're really close friends now. Go figure. Um, I, I, the steps are in order for a reason. In step eight, we become willing to make amends to the people. And that happens with God's help. 
and I, I just did each step as it came. I wrote down the list of people I've harmed, and I've got to say, sending letters to girls that I was mean to in junior high school, going to Kmart and giving the guy money back for makeup that I stole when I was in high school, you know, doing these things gives me a feeling. I, I think of it as, sometimes I picture self-esteem as little red dots, and, you know, in my disease, like every day, I just kind of gave away those dots and my light. And every time I do something that's esteemable, every time I tell somebody I'm going to do that and I keep my word even when I don't feel like doing that thing, I get that dot back. I get my light back. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, step 10. Step 10 kind of threw me just because even though I was doing my step work, I still couldn't picture myself doing anything every single day. And so this is where I would say about a year ago, I had a sponsee that, um, that she and I were both kind of frustrated with. We were happy with a lot of our recovery. We were happy we were out living in the world. We'd had some physical recovery, but we didn't want to have, we didn't have all that we wanted yet. And I, um, it was, it's in one of the traditions where two people in program, it's in, in, the, in the OA traditions, where they co-sponsor each other because they both work the program differently. So this, my sponsee and I decided to co-food sponsor one another. So now I have three sponsees. At the end of the day, every day, I write down my breakfast, my lunch, my dinner, any snack that I have, every bite of food that goes in my mouth. I email to my three sponsees, and I email something I call AEIOU, for those of you who are familiar with it, um, A was my abstinence today, E did I exercise, I, what did I do for my program today, O, what did I do to be for, other, for others, to be of service, U, what did I uncover, and Y, Yahoo, either what I'm grateful for today, or what did I do to bring joy into my life today, and you know, there's nothing like having to email your sponsees every single day. That's where I've had the majority of my physical recovery and just the majority of... I can't have a day where I don't do something for my program, even if it's just not it, read some program literature. I can't do, have a day where I don't do something for others. I can find myself at a certain time of day realizing I'm going to have to email this soon. And I, I, I had surgery, so I, I recently I was in my house for about a month. My food was really clean. I'll say one to that if I have time. Um, but I will find myself, you know, sending an email to somebody saying, hey, how are you doing? You know, I was thinking about you. I remembered you had this going on. You know, because... Frankly, at the end of the day, I can't email three sponsees and say, I didn't do anything for others today. So that's how I work my 10 step. Also, resentments, I do clean house. Like, if at the end of the day I do have a resentment, I do write it out four, four step and then five, six, seven, eight, nine on to that. The 11th step, um, how I work the 11th step, that's a little trickier for me. I do fall asleep when I meditate. I am not a great meditator. Um, but I will light a candle just to kind of do something physical to me, to designate to myself, okay, this is my time where I'm doing something. This is my time where I'm trying to connect with God. Good luck. Let's hope it happens. And um, I'll read Voices of Today and for, for, uh, Voices of Recovery and, and for Today, and then I'll write. And, and um, 
whatever comes out is what I consider to be uh, God speaking to me. That's, that's one way that I meditate. Sometimes I'll try and just be quiet. I'm not great at it. Um, I have some guided meditation CDs. I work on those too. They really help you fall asleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> step 12. I've got to say, when I first came in these rooms, I always want to say to the newcomers, congratulations, you made it past the horrible thing, Overeaters Anonymous. Like, I did not want to be in that club. Like, let me be an alky. That's a leaf pool. I was embarrassed enough to have a weight issue. I don't want to go to a room called Overeaters Anonymous and have people ask me what I'm doing and saying, oh, I'm going to Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I was really embarrassed. Call it Eating Disorders Anonymous. Like, I was ready to come in here and just make a plea for a different name, and now it's a, I, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed at all. I'm also not embarrassed or ashamed at all, like, to make jokes about food. I am a person who... Um, well, a lot of people do this, but I'm a person who, if I go past a certain amount of hours without eating, I am not a nice person. But for me, all through my life, to admit that I was hungry was embarrassing because I didn't feel like I had a right to eat. Or, like, if I would have acknowledged being hungry to somebody, they'd be thinking, well, like, maybe you should skip a few meals. You know, I always would put myself down because I thought that's what other people are thinking. So I'd, I'd say it about myself. That's something else I want to say. When I came in the rooms, I made a spiritual abstinence to not say anything bad about my body because I would say things that I thought other people were thinking. So I at least said it first because I was very proud. Um, so the self-effacing camera, bye-bye. Uh, but now I can, I can be out with somebody and say, oh, by the way, if you remember the Incredible Hulk, you don't want to make him angry. Yeah, you don't want to make me hungry. You won't like me when I'm hungry. I can, I can say these things and not feel embarrassed at all. There's just a freedom that I have to be myself that really is so much better than, than what I was picturing and what I wanted when I came into these rooms, and that was I was going to lose this weight. I was going to weigh this number. There was going to be the parade. Everybody who met me thought, would think I was the prettiest girl they ever saw. Anybody I loved would love me. Like All of this stuff was really going to happen. It, in my head, I don't know what I really what I really expected. It's not that I didn't know pretty people who had problems, but for me it was going to be different. And I just never imagined it could be so much better without having that and without having that number be the focal point of my life and actually wanting to connect with other people and actually wanting to show up and actually wanting to tell other people. I go to this place. It's called Overeaters Anonymous. It's really cool. I've met all my best friends there. We have a great time. And um, I'm just very, very grateful to be here. I'm anxious to hear any questions that you have. And uh, thank you. Okay. So does anybody have any questions for me? Okay, so what do we do? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. Hi. Hi. Thank you for Where is God in your program? The question is, where is God in my program? Okay, um, God is pretty much in the whole thing, frankly. Uh, in the morning, I will say the first three steps, and then I'll say the serenity prayer, the third step prayer, and then 
wherever I'm going, I kind of, I know by now what defects I'm going to bring with me to whatever place I'm going to. A lot of times approval-seeking or people-pleasing has come along, you know, sometimes vanity. It, it, but I'll, I'll pray for those. Um, if, if I'm going somewhere where I, there's a person that I've had a problem with, I, I, I've also memorized the 11-step prayer. I'll do that. And then sometimes I just simply just sit down and I just talk. You know, I just talk to him while I'm driving to wherever that place is. And just, um, instead of waiting for a burning bush or something like that, I'll ask the question, and a lot of times I'll call somebody because I think, okay, I'm asking you this question. Put it in that person's mouth. And then I call somebody, and then I just do whatever they say. I just take direction from other people because that's what I was told to do. So God didn't get direction from, from other people a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. The spiritual abstinence that I was talking about and what that entails is um, abstaining from saying, for me, it was abstaining from saying anything negative about my body. Uh, and, and the reason why, a lot of times the reason I'd be saying anything negative about my body or, or about myself in any way, it's because I thought that that's what somebody was thinking of me. So I would say it before they had a chance to think it so that it, it was like, you're not getting one over on me. And it was like, and I'm in on the joke. I'm the one making the joke. My fat butt, blah, 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 you know, whatever it was. And I don't even know, I didn't hear it in a meeting, I don't know where I got it from, but it was very early on in my program that I just realized, you know, I can't, if, if I were to go to a meeting and tell somebody that my mother said this thing to her friend about me, made a joke, people would go, oh my God, that woman's a monster, yet I say that to me. I also try to remember that when I'm making food decisions. Sure. Um, especially the defects of character that helped me and how they helped me. Um, the reason that I have the defects that I have is because for whatever reason in my life, I needed the protection from them, whether I really needed it or I just felt like I needed it. It isn't really relevant. I, it was. It's just. It was my protective system. Uh, one of the defects of character was extreme people pleasing. And I was a chameleon when I was younger. I so I but I moved around a lot. My mom left, the dad left. I kind of went from parent to parent. So I was always trying to earn people's love. So if I was with in, in my in my age. So, uh, you were kind of identified by whatever music. So if I was around the punkers, I was kind of a punker. And then if I was around this group, I was a rocker. Like, I just kind of was, was very much a chameleon in whatever group that I was in. And it did help me to connect with people. It did help me to learn how to identify with, uh, with a lot of different types of people. It helped me with my social skills. It's helped me in a lot of ways in my life. And... Uh, for that, for me to just say it's a defect, boom, it has to go away and not acknowledge the good things that it has done in my life and that that can still do in my life. That knowing if I'm going to talk to a teen in trouble 
if I talk to them on their level, I'm going to have a better chance of helping them. You know, that's a, that, that works for me. So acknowledging where it helps, where it doesn't help, praying for God to take away what he wants to take away, and then turning it over. How do I work with my resentments? It's a good one. Sometimes, frankly, the, the moment that I'm in them, I don't feel like it. Sometimes I need a day or two just to be angry. And the truth is I, I don't want to refute anything that, that, that this program teaches. Resentments do kill us. Uh, but at the same time, my background is such that I never even really experienced anger until I came in these rooms. Because if somebody did anything mean to me, it was just, oh, I'm not cool enough, or I'm sad. If I was thin, they'd be nicer. You know, everything was always, I always turned everything around on myself. So now, when I resent somebody, what I'll do is sometimes I, I'll, I'll, I'll even call somebody else and say, I'm giving myself the day. Like, I'm, sometimes acknowledging anger, my thought of it is, God wouldn't give me this emotion unless I was meant to have it for some reason. So, not being reactive is the first thing that I make sure that I don't do. Okay, so I'm going to feel this emotion. And then, when I've had some 